Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. With how crazy things are this year and how hard it is to get your hands on an e-bike, one of the things I mentioned in a recent video was an alternative to buying an e-bike, and that is converting one. And I know that's not something I have talked about a whole lot lately, but I want to share with you what does it take to convert a bicycle that you might already have to an electric bike. All right, you may have thought about this before. You probably even researched it to some extent if you were looking for an e-bike. Does it make sense to convert your already maybe collecting dust in the garage bicycle to an electric bike? Uh, and the answer is that yes, sometimes it can make sense. And let me share the scenario where it might make sense first, and you may find yourself in this position. You may not. And the lead times this year, with as crazy as they are for many e-bikes, I think that could be a motivating factor if somebody can convert their bike and get it faster. Maybe that's a reason to do it. Or maybe it's a reason just to do it to get on something right now while you wait for that awesome e-bike that you already pre-ordered. But whatever the case is, here's where I think it makes sense and where it doesn't. Let's start with where it doesn't make sense, at least in my opinion. I don't think it makes sense if you really, at the end of the day, just want an electric bike and maybe you're not terribly handy or mechanically inclined and you don't want to work on it. In other words, you don't want a project, you don't want a hobby where you have to build and maintain something. You just want to get something that you can go have fun on and ride. If, if that's what you really want, then an e-bike may not make a whole lot of sense. The second thing is, if you want to take your own bike, buy some parts, and pay someone to convert it, that usually doesn't pencil out very well either. If you take the cost of your bicycle, or maybe you even assume your bicycle didn't cost anything. You're just saying it's free. But if you take the cost of a motor kit and a battery and then the labor for someone to install that motor kit, in many cases, the cost of that would be just as much as going and buying an equivalent bike that's already done and has all brand new parts, not some new parts and some used parts. Now, on the flip side, when maybe does it make sense? You have a bicycle, you really like that bike for some specific reason, it's hard to find an e-bike with, you know, maybe the geometry or the size, or maybe there's just something unique about the bike that you just can't buy in electric bike form. That's a real possibility. I've seen people convert downhill mountain bikes, and there's not a lot of downhill mountain e-bikes out there. So and it might be that over the years, you've spent a lot of money on the bike, putting on, you know, really good front suspension. Maybe you've got some massive brakes on there. And a downhill bike is a very sturdy frame. Realistically, it's built to take some abuse. It could handle the extra weight of a battery and a motor just fine. So that's a situation where maybe that makes sense. And if you just like to modify and tinker in other words, if you enjoy the process of making something as much as using it once you're done, then maybe it makes sense for you to build your own or convert your own 
bicycle to an electric bike. Personally, I love building and making things. So yes, that is appealing to me. I can pick all the components and parts and pieces and build something up exactly the way I want it. The main e-bike that I have that I keep at home right now is one that I built a few years ago and I've actually built it twice. (laughs) I got the bike from one of my suppliers and then I changed a whole bunch of things about it. So I kind of rebuilt a bunch of parts and pieces all over the place. And it was the frame we were going to use on other production models for a little while. It was a motor we still use on production models. And then one day I was like, I want to change these brakes. I want to change to this color of frame. I basically stripped the entire bike down to the bare parts and rebuilt it from scratch and made it like new again to some degree. You know, some of the things I reused, like the motor and the battery. I believe I changed the rims when I did that. I changed the tires. I changed a lot of things. But to me, the build process was a lot of fun. That was part of the excitement. But if that does not excite you, then I might not want to convert your bike to an e-bike because it just may not make financial sense and it may not be fun. If it sounds like work and it sounds hard and it sounds frustrating, then you may not want to do it. But like I said, one of the extra motivators this year, I think, is because of the lead times on bikes, maybe converting your own bike if you can get your hands on a motor kit and a battery, because those are basically the two things you need. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe it gives you a taste of what it's like to ride an e-bike without spending as much money. Maybe you've got lots of free time on your hands and that part doesn't bother you. So if that fits you, if that makes sense, then stay tuned and I'm going to explain What does it take to install a hub motor kit specifically? A mid-drive is a little bit of a different process, and I don't think I could do both justice. So I'm going to talk about hub motor kits because they're the most reasonably priced, and I think they're the easiest to install. And there are probably hundreds of different, if not thousands of different motor kits out there. But I'm just going to go through the basics of a typical hub motor kit, what it comes with, what tools do you need, and how do you determine if your bike would make a good conversion candidate in the first place. So let's start with that. Would your bike make a good conversion in the first place? Doesn't even make sense because there are some bikes out there that I would say, "Mm, that's not going to make a good e-bike. No matter what you try and do to it, it's not going to work. Or maybe you're going to have to sink so much time and money into it that it doesn't just make sense. It doesn't pencil out for any reason. And here are the things you need to look at. One is the frame and the wheels that are on the bike. Are the parts substantial enough to where they can handle the extra speed, the extra power, and the extra weight or the extra speed? And if you're not feeling comfortable with that, with the bike you have in mind, you should probably say, "Mm, no, (laughs) maybe not this one. Now, all is not lost. You might be able to find, you know, a bike that's cheap, used on Craigslist or something that would make an excellent candidate. You want a sturdy frame. Like I said, a downhill frame, very, very strong, very sturdy. Guys are going crazy on those things, going off of huge drops. An e-bike, battery, and motor, not really going to phase something like that too much. It certainly can be done. A steel frame has very nice, strong dropouts. The dropouts are the 
slots in the rear wheel where the axle for the rear wheel goes. That's a critical feature. And that could make a good conversion if you got a nice steel frame. But what if you have this older bicycle, say it's a mountain bike, it's got a steel frame, it could hold onto a motor great, it could hold the weight just fine, but you have these frame mounted caliper V style brakes. And you guys know the ones I'm talking about, where you have the two rubber pads that clamp onto the rim instead of the disc brakes you see on just about every e-bike nowadays. Would that make sense? For that, it depends on how fast are you going to go. And keep in mind, you don't want to think about just how fast could the bike go under pedaling and motor power, but how much faster might the bike go down a long hill just coasting? If you add 10, 15 pounds of motor weight and another 10, 15 pounds of battery, 20, 30 pounds, the bike's going to want to go faster. You're going to have to have more braking capability to stop. So personally, I try to stick with things that have disc brakes because they usually have more stopping power than the older style of brakes that you see on older bikes. And they're pretty easy to upgrade if you need to beef them up. If you try and convert something with the older brakes, it's a little bit trickier, it's harder. I just don't recommend it. It's just not what I would consider the ideal setup for a conversion. Now, there are other things you need to keep in mind as well. The motor being a, if we're talking about a rear hub motor, you just got to make sure you get the right size. So if you have a 26-inch wheel now, you want to get a 26-inch rear hub motor kit. And the other thing you have to keep in mind is the battery. Where is the battery going to go? If you have one of those really nice downhill full suspension bikes I mentioned earlier, but the suspension takes up the center triangle of the bike, you may not have anywhere to mount a battery. And you have to mount it somewhere. <laughs> there are alternatives. For example, instead of mounting the battery on the bike, there are people that would do a backpack conversion. In other words, they're carrying the battery in a backpack and they have a flexible cord that goes down to the bike. That's a viable option, but then you always have to have this heavy, semi-heavy backpack on. Some people hate that idea. Some people love that idea. I don't really like it. It's just one more thing you got to carry around separately. I like everything to just be on the bike. And also, if I want somebody to take it for a spin or test ride it, which you know your friends and family are going to want to do, you know, having to strap on this backpack, make sure it's not loose and they're going to lose it. It's just more complicated in some ways. So make sure that the bike is sturdy, it's got a good frame, it's got good brakes, and you have a place to put a battery. Now, if you've got a bike that meets all of those conditions so far, and it's in reasonably good shape otherwise, then what do we need to know from there? The first thing I always look at is not just the wheel size that I already mentioned, but the dropout width. And this is different for different bikes. A common width for a mountain bike is 135 millimeters. So you need a motor kit that has an axle width that's designed to fit into a 135 millimeter frame. If you go to fat bikes, they go up to 175 millimeters. Some are 190 millimeters. And if you go down to a skinnier road bike, you might get something that's 110 millimeters. So be aware that there are different widths 
And all you need to do is measure basically the inside of the frame on each side, right where the axle goes for that rear wheel, and see how much space do you have there. So that's step one, finding a motor kit that will fit the space that you have. Step two, in my opinion, is making sure that the dropouts that are there are sturdy enough to hold a hub motor. When you have a normal bicycle wheel, there's no twisting forces on the dropout area where the axle goes. You are spinning the wheel, but there's nothing taking an axle and trying to just wrench it out of that space in the frame. Now, a hub motor, the axle is fixed in place, it's bolted on, and there's a lot of stress being added to that point on the bike. And something you might need is called a torque arm. If you've been watching the YouTube videos lately, you'll see that we had some specially made and laser cut for the Blackbird bikes because they have a lot of torque the way that the bikes are set up. And I wanted to make sure that no matter how hard somebody pushed the bike, they could not, if they tried as hard as they could, break the frame where the axle goes for that rear hub motor. So we added a quarter inch thick piece of stainless steel. It's bolted to the frame and it helps to hold that motor axle in place. Now, if you haven't seen a motor axle up close for an e-bike, there are two flat spots, one on each side, and basically they're the size of a 10 millimeter wrench, and you just need a 10 millimeter flat spot in that frame that's nice and sturdy. If it's a steel frame, it might be perfectly fine as long as they're the right size and they're deep enough. If you go to something like an aluminum frame that's a little bit softer, that's when you might want to take a closer look at torque arms. And it also depends on how powerful the motor is, but make sure the frame is properly strengthened so it can handle the extra power you're about to give it. Now, this is one reason I don't often use front hub motors. You'll notice that very few of our bikes have a front motor and the few that do have it are specifically designed for it. So the fork is a rigid fork. It has stronger dropouts than what you would normally see on a front fork, and they're designed specifically to hold a motor. Most suspension forks or rigid forks that come on a standard bicycle are not designed for it. And I can't tell you how many pictures I've seen online from somebody that's installed a front motor kit, and they have not installed torque arms or anything to beef up the strength of that fork. They snap the dropouts right off the fork. The wheel comes out. Basically, you crash and your motor kit is usually damaged in the process. So I'm not saying that you can't do it, that it can't be done, but you do have to know what you're doing and take some proper precautions. So I recommend a rear hub motor. I think the weight is situated better. It just makes more sense for a bunch of reasons, but we're going to focus on the rear hub motor kits for now. So you know you've got a good bike, it's got a good frame, it's got good brakes, and now you know that you have a certain dropout you need to find a motor kit for. What do you need next? Well, most motor kits are complete except for the battery. That means it's going to have a hub motor that's already laced into a rear wheel and rear rim. So you got the rim, the spokes, the motor, all of that comes with the kit. 
The only thing you need to add on to that usually, and some will come with this, is a tube and a tire. And then that motor has a controller that comes with it. It usually has a pedal assist sensor. You have a throttle. You typically have some sort of display. And then you might have, most will come with this as well, some sort of brakes or brake switches. And what those are for is cutting power to the motor when you pull the brakes. And it's not a complete brake system. They're usually just the levers designed for mechanical brakes, and that's it. Now, if you want to use your existing brakes and not have to change the levers, you can buy some extra switches or brake cutoff switches somewhere else usually and install them. So there's ways to use your own brakes if you don't want to use what's in a kit but that's usually what they come with. Now, the battery is typically a separate piece. Sometimes the place you're buying your motor kit from may have that. Sometimes you got to find that somewhere else. And really, the only thing you need to know about the motor kit and the battery, if they're going to be compatible, I guess there's three things. I shouldn't say the only thing. There's three things. One, is it the right voltage? So if you have a motor kit designed for 48 volts, buy a 48-volt battery. (laughs) And the more amp hours you have on the battery, the more range you're going to have. Second, make sure that the battery can handle the current of the motor kit you're buying. So if you're buying a motor kit designed for a 48 volt, 500 watt motor, you could get away with a smaller battery. If you're buying a motor kit that's designed for 48 volts, but at 1500 watts, that's three times as much power That's going to draw three times as much current from that battery. So you need to have a battery typically a little bit bigger in capacity to handle the peak current that's going to be pulled from it. And usually where you buy a battery from, they'll have ratings on how many continuous or peak amps that it can deliver. And that's an easy way to see, will it be able to handle the power that you're going to put through it? So buy a motor kit that fits your bike, buy a battery, you've got torque arms if you need them. Now you need to put everything on the bike. How difficult is that to do? And I will tell you, for the last few years, I have not offered, and I'm not going to offer right now because we just have too many things on our plate. We're not going to offer doing a conversion kit for customers. And I'll tell you why. It's too hard to judge how long it's going to take to convert a particular bike. Because sometimes you run into little issues converting a bike that are different from every other bike you've converted. Everyone takes a different amount of time. And as much as we could just charge hourly for that, that could rack up really fast. So I've done very, very few conversions and it's not something that we do because it's really hard to estimate the time. And I think if you're going to pay me or Bolton e-bikes to do the conversion for the cost you're going to pay once it's all said and done, you probably could have just bought a decent bike that's all new instead. So that's why we don't do it. And we are now offering motor kits that you can buy, but we don't offer the installation. And it's just because it's so hard to judge how long is it going to take? How difficult is it going to be? 
I've done some bikes where it was super easy. I mean, I could say, oh, this bike, yeah, we could do that in a couple hours, no problem. Another bike could be complicated and could take a couple of days. I had one instance where a gentleman had a, a unique situation and he needed a certain type of bike for health reasons and he wanted me to do a conversion kit. And this is one of the very few that I've agreed to do. And, you know, I, I gave him a hefty price. I said, you know, this is just what my ballpark is, what I think it's going to take to make this happen. And thankfully he got it done, but he was kind of like, oh, here's the bike. We'll be back. You know, it was late in the day, like in the afternoon. He said, we'll be back in the morning to pick it up. And I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> I will see what I can do. Cause they had drove a long ways from many States away to have this done. And I was expecting uh, some more time <laughs> to make it happen. And thankfully that one got done, but I had to fabricate some mounts for the display because of how the bike was built. I had to custom modify some brake parts. And there was so many little intricate things that had to be done. It took many hours to get that one done. And it was a late night, but I made it happen. And there's a chance you may run into the same thing. I did another conversion on a road bike once with a BBSHD mid-drive. And, you know, there were little things like it had drop bars on it, you know, the curved handlebars you see on most road bikes. And the drop bars, you can't slide the throttle around the curve of the drop bars or any of the other components you normally put on the handlebars for an e-bike. So we had to figure out, okay, how do we make this work? So just be aware there might be little, little challenges you didn't think of with a certain bike. One of the things you have to do is install a pedal assist sensor. Many of those sensors are designed to be put on under the bottom bracket or next to it. Sometimes you have to pull off a crank or bottom bracket. And I've had bikes, even brand new bikes, where you go to pull it apart and things are seized up or really difficult to work on. And on an older used bike, you're more likely to run into those types of scenarios. So just be aware that this is a little bit of a project. If everything goes perfectly, it could take you a few hours. It could take you, you know, a couple of days of effort to make this happen, if not more, if you're not super familiar with e-bikes. But as long as you enjoy the process, then I would encourage you to, to give it a shot. So you've got to install the motor. That is fairly easy. You're really just removing the rear wheel, whether it's bolted on or quick release. You're sliding the new wheel into that place with a new tire and tube, and then you're putting on two nuts, one on each side to bolt it into place. And that's basically all there is to installing the rear motor. You have typically one big cable that's going up to the motor controller and they usually just plug and play. You plug that in. You got to mount the controller somewhere. Your kit may have some way to mount the controller. It may have absolutely nothing to help you with that. And you might have to be creative figuring out where to mount it, how to mount it, do you drill holes in the frame somewhere? Do you strap it on somewhere? Uh, these are things you're going to have to figure out to some degree when you're installing a motor kit. And then you have to run all those wires, or at least some of those wires, up to the handlebars where your display goes, your throttle goes. But most of those connections are just going to plug right in. So you don't need to do any soldering or anything like that for the majority of the motor kit. The battery is the one item where you might have to change a connector. If possible, you do enough searching around, you find a battery that has the same plug as the motor kit, and you literally just plug it in. You don't have to do anything else. But if you don't have that, 
If you bought a motor kit and a battery that have different plugs, you may have to cut one or the other off and either use proper crimp connectors or soldering and make sure you're using the right type of connectors that are going to withstand the vibrations and movement of an electric bike. One of the few fires that I've seen online, I didn't see this in person, but if somebody's bike, wasn't one of mine, thankfully, we've never had one catch fire, but it was a DIY setup where they put a different battery on it and they used wire nuts, which in a high vibration moving environment is not a good idea. They came apart, they shorted, battery caught on fire. That's not what I want you to see. So just be aware that you have to use the right connectors. Make sure you have the motor bolted on. You want to be safe about all of this. And I don't say this to discourage you in any way. I just say this to make sure that you take the proper precautions so everything is done right and you get to have fun when this is all done. So let's assume you have the motor mounted. That's pretty easy. You found a way to strap the controller onto the frame. You've got the screen mounted, your throttle on your handlebars. Last thing left is your battery. And you can buy some batteries that fit into a triangle-shaped bag. That's one of the things that we sell. And the bag just straps on, on all three sides, big heavy-duty straps. And then there's more straps inside the bag to help hold the battery in place. And sometimes there's a little extra wiggle room. If you have some excess wiring, you can kind of shove it all into that bag and hide it away so it's not looking messy all over the bike. So that's one option. Or you can get the down tube style battery where it mounts like where your water bottle holder would typically go on a bicycle. Sometimes, usually it seems like on DIY stuff, those holes don't line up and you have to make some new mounting points, but you can mount one permanently to the frame with some nuts and bolts and different clamps. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but you got to make sure that battery's mounted firmly. To me, the easiest way to do it is, is the triangle-shaped bag, but that may not be the, the look or the type of battery that you're going for. So you got the motor kit installed, you got a battery installed, and at that point, you can go ride it, right? Well, almost. <laughs> Most likely, everything will work to some degree at that point. But then you're going to have to do some programming, typically on whatever motor kit you have. A lot of them use something like the KT displays where you can access a bunch of the settings. And that's where there's not going to be anyone to give you the settings for your bicycle. There might be a video or instructions on what each setting does, but you're going to have to figure out for yourself what wheel diameter setting to use, you know, all of the different power settings, the pedal assist settings, the tuning parameters. You're going to have to figure out and fiddle with those settings to get it working correctly. Thankfully, typically those settings, there's not much you can do to like screw anything up. In other words, if you put a wrong setting in, it's not going to blow up your battery or your motor. That's not very realistic. I know people worry about that sometimes. More likely is something either is just going to not work very smoothly or it's just not going to work at all. You know, your pedal assist might work if you're pedaling backwards but not forwards. You need to change you know, the setting for the pedal assist. So you'll have to do some programming. And then at that point, you're ready to ride. You have an electric bike. You feel accomplished because you did it yourself. And if people ask, hey, where'd you get that? You can say, oh, I built it. I put this together. And I think that sense of accomplishment 
at least for me, is worth something. And if that sounds exciting to you, then like I said, we do have some motor kits at Bolton e-bikes. That way everybody can get, I hope, everybody that wants an e-bike can get on an e-bike sometime in the near future. So I know that's a good solution for some of you. For some of you, that may not sound like very much fun at all. And for those, we have bikes that are just complete and ready to ride. You don't have to worry about how any of that actually works. You can just get on the bike, ride it, and have fun. If you want to know more about motor kits and how to install mid-drive motor kits, or if you have questions about different types of motor kits, you know, direct drive motors, geared hub motors, anything like that, if this is a topic that is of interest to you, feel free to shoot us an email over at info at boltonebikes.com and just say, yes, I would like to hear more podcast episodes about the DIY conversions. And if so, that's something I would be happy to cover in addition to all of the awesome, cool bike stuff we have going on. Thanks again for listening to an episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. I appreciate you coming back every week to listen to whatever cool new things are going on about e-bikes. There are some new products I'm seeing from other companies being launched this week. I don't know what they're going to be. Some teasers of different things. I'm excited to see what comes out this year. I know it's going to be a struggle getting inventory, but my hope, I've always said this in past episodes, my hope is that this demand, this weird time drives more innovation and we see some new products and new cool things come out in spite of or because of what's going on in the world right now. So very excited with everything that's going on with electric bikes right now. If you are not on our email list, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com. We will send you an email just once a week when these episodes come out just to remind you and tell you what the topic is. So if it's something that you're interested in, you can tune in. And of course, if you want videos that show you how to do some of these things, then always go check out the Bolton eBikes YouTube channel. And finally, if you want to skip all these steps and just get a bike that's ready to go, you know where to find me at boltonebikes.com. Thank you again for listening. I will talk to you another Tuesday. Tuesday.